I want you to picture in your mind's eye today the ideal family, whatever that looks like to you. We'll call them the stock family after stock photos that you'll see in every advertisement this holiday season. You'll see all varieties of this family. Don't they look perfect? Nice, big smiles with white teeth. They get along perfectly. I'll call them Michael and Alicia. They parent perfectly. The sun is shining, and maybe they have a picnic basket just off camera. Their kids, Tyrone and Emmeline, love each other and never fight. They weren't in my family. But do you know why they never fight? Because they're not real. They're a stock photo family. They're photoshopped, paid models. We might spend a lot of energy trying to seem like them, to make a perfect picture of our lives, one that is fit to post on Instagram or Facebook. You know the pictures. You saw many of them this weekend. Thanksgiving, we're so thankful for our families. We try to curate a picture of what our lives look like. But what do we think lives are really like? Is Michael depressed over their finances? Does Tyrone have ADHD? Is Alicia a pharmacist, perhaps struggling with an addiction? None of this is true either, I made it up, but it may be closer to what a real family looks like and struggles with. The thing is, our God is not trying to make a better picture. God is telling a story, a story with a plot line, multiple chapters, that is still unfolding which is why no one snapshot can capture God's story perfectly. The story has a plot line, it has twists and turns in which God reveals God's self to us again and again, if we're looking, and maybe even sometimes when we aren't looking. It is a story of forgiveness and redemption, a story in which each of us can start again. God wants to tell God's story through each of us individually and as a church, through our families, through our neighborhoods. It's a story in which there is hope for God to use each of us in God's story. Because God is more interested in using broken people than God is in creating a better picture. Our story is unfolded in God's story, and it's not easy, or is it pain-free? It is filled with God's presence and with God's hope, though. Just as that story we heard in Matthew 1. I've heard people sometimes in the Bible as they're reading, perhaps with friends or in a Bible study, just skip over and say hard person's name to pronounce or hard place name. But we read each and every name because they are part of God's story. We heard the story of the generations leading up to Jesus 
and each was filled with God's presence and hope. That's why this Advent sermon series begins with Matthew's genealogy. In that long list of names, we can remember the trauma and the triumph of those who came before. Each name holds a story, and their story leads the way to Christ's story. Now, when we zoom in, we may not be able to see how each character propels the story forward, but when we zoom out, we can see how each story is woven into a larger tapestry of hope. Just like in our own lives, we have scripture, we have traditions of Christmas season. They've been perhaps passed down to us throughout the generations. I hope that many of us enter this season with a swell of emotion or expectation. For some, it's a hard season, perhaps a first without a loved one. For some, it is a joyous season. I know, for me, the Advent hymns can, make, can bring a tear to my eye. I love watching the Advent candle lit for the first time. But the Christmas story weaves us in also to remember how God has shown up in the past in our lives and is ready to show up again, to continue God's work of collective liberation and bringing hope. Hope. We lit the candle of hope today. This word hope is tossed around easily, especially in this season. We use it interchangeably with wish or want. You might ask a child, a grandchild, what are you hoping for for Christmas? Or a therapist might ask us, what do you hope to receive out of our time together? Yet in the New Testament, there's not a neutral or flimsy understanding of hope. Hope is the hope of good, God's good, and hope is the opposite of fear. There is the expectation in hope, and it's naturally directed towards God. Scripture shows us that when humans are in trouble and we hope that God will deliver us and help us, we turn anew to God. Because hope requires trust. Scripture encourages us over and over and over to put our hope in God, our faith in trust in a God who promises to deliver. God will act in our stories, though not always as we expect, just as God has done before. That's why we review all these names, all these stories. The genealogy of Jesus includes men and women. I love that. And the Bible, especially the book of Genesis, is filled with dysfunctional families. They knew how to put the fun back in dysfunctional. If you read it, you'll see. In Jesus' own family, there was plenty of that, but each person was crucial to Jesus' story. On your bulletin cover, in the genealogy, we heard about Rahab, who was a prostitute, who helped God's people gain the promised land, and her son Boaz, who helped Ruth and Naomi in a foreign land, King David, who was by all accounts a hothead and a screw-up, yet he was also called by God as a man after God's own heart. Or Bathsheba, 
who was seized as a wife to David after he murdered her husband. And then their son, King Solomon, who was the wisest of all. And his son, Rehoboam, who was not wise. He was an unwise, harsh master. He's the one who caused the rebellion that split the kingdoms into two, Judah and Israel. King Hezekiah, who came along and cleaned up and restored worship of God to the temple. But then his son Manasseh, who did evil and worshipped other gods. They are all here in God's story, in Jesus' story. Each person in this genealogy has a story, just as each of us does. God was with, is with each of them. As the psalmist writes in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. That might be a pretty good description of life on our planet today, maybe even life in the U.S. or in Western Springs. Maybe there's fear. Maybe your mountains are shaking, trembling with tumult. We need hope today, not just any hope. Scripture reminds us that we need the very culmination of hope and trust in God's deliverance to be found in the hope and coming of the Messiah and King. Last week was Christ the King Sunday. I'm sure that you talked about the promises of Jesus, the Messiah, to be the anointed one in the line of David who would come and deliver Israel and bring about God's kingdom here on earth. He was to be Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 7:14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. Scripture promises that God will intervene through this human figure born in a royal line. It's a promise not just of saving but of justice in relationships, in the law and the courts, protection of the weak from the strong. And we too long for that right now. Today we're going to look quickly at three ways that Jesus fulfills God's promises and lives out God's story as our king of hope in three clear ways. One, the promise of hope comes through the prophets telling the story of Jesus' coming life, death, and resurrection. Two, we are not the hope of the gospel. Jesus is. But we're invited to join in. And three, what is written by the prophets and the gospel writers is only the beginning of God's story, the good news, and it includes us. So let's look briefly at these. The promise of hope comes through the prophets foretelling Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The good news of the gospel is God will accomplish God's work in the world according to God's plan. We can either join in, like these generations mentioned, or we can get passed on by. If you read ahead into Matthew 2, you'll hear about King Herod, 
He tries to stop the train, but cannot. He gets passed on by. He can't stop God's story, God's good news. How can that be good news, that it could pass on by someone? The promise of the good news is that it is already certain that Jesus is our king of hope and will triumph over sin and death. The good news, though, rests on God's promise, on Jesus' action, not on our performance. Even if we fail at first or repeatedly, we're still included in God's plan, in God's story. We can begin to obey and follow Jesus again today. One of my friends was asked, when did you begin to follow Jesus? And he said, I decided to follow Jesus five minutes ago, and I will decide again five minutes from now. We choose again and again to lift up our lives into God's story. We can be open again and again to experience the hope of the crucified and risen Jesus who shows up not only in Bethlehem, but in our lives too. Because he's our king of hope. Maybe we're tired of failing. We long for a better story in our own lives, in our Christian walk of faith. That we'll be brave, we'll be super Christians on our own strength or in our own power, but God doesn't intend it to work that way. I was recently talking with a dad and a son, a middle school son, who were both dealing with anxiety and depression. The son was being bullied had had a lot of life changes, decided to drop out of school and be homeschooled. The dad was trying to figure out what to do. And we talked about this idea of this time as an opportunity to start a new story, to live into a new story through serving others, through trying new things that you might not have the opportunity to do if you were in school all day. Because even in that situation, God is ready to tell a better story. And they got excited as they began to talk about what could be God's bigger story for them, even in this difficult time. God invites us into hope and purpose in Jesus Christ. Sometimes God's plan, though, requires more than just us in order to work God's will and tell God's story. I read an amazing rescue story in the Huffington Post. There were beachgoers who were along the shores of Panama City Beach in Florida. They found themselves witness to an event as dangerous as it was inspiring. Because while playing in the water, two boys got caught in the current in a riptide. They started screaming for help, and understandably, the boy's mother jumped in to try to rescue and save them, and she too was carried out. She got caught in the riptide. One by one, more family members came in after the group, and they faced the same predicament. After a short time, the spectacle and shouts had gathered a crowd, and one person said, there's a, there's a guy in the water who was saying, man, they're all stuck out there. The riptides pulled them out. I tried to go out there, but if I go any further, I'm going to get stuck too, said one of the witnesses named Derek. 
But luckily, Derek's wife, Jessica, did quick thinking. She gathered all the people together and began instructing people to grasp arms and wade into the sea as a human chain, anchored to the safety of the shore. The amazing thing is that as many as 80 people worked together in this way, and after a stressful few minutes, they successfully pulled the swimmers to safety one by one. Jessica said, it was the most remarkable thing to see. These people who don't even know each other trusted one another with their lives to get themselves and others to safety. Again, God's hope and God's promises don't let us off the hook, but invite us into the story, into Jesus' larger story. Even When we fear and we fail on our own, we're stronger together in Jesus Christ, in Jesus' church. We can bring more of Jesus' hope to others because he is our hope for rescue and invites us to tell his story of redemption because we're not the hope of the gospel. Jesus is. We hear how the prophets and generations to generations played their role to look ahead to God saving Jerusalem. They worshiped, they obeyed God faithfully. But sometimes it feels like no matter how much we seek, we can't seem to find hope. Or perhaps we're stuck in fear. I know someone who was in that situation and a dear brother in Christ said to him, you're running short of hope? The good news is today I have lots of extra hope that I can give to you. You're having trouble praying? I've got lots of prayers that I can give to you. And they partnered together through that hard time. And that friend still tells that story 15 years later. We can be partners with Jesus in bringing hope In us, through us, for us, even despite us, Jesus works. I heard about a janitor recently from a school who moved past a lack of confidence and fear to help others. Carolyn Collins says she was about to take out the trash one winter morning at the high school when she heard a loud knock on the cafeteria door. So she set down her garbage can, she opened the door, and two students A boy and a girl were standing there looking nervous. Can we please come in, they asked, even though school didn't start for two more hours. Me and my sister are getting tired of waiting outside. We're cold. They told Carolyn that they'd been living in a car with their mom who dropped them off early so they could get ready for school in one of the bathrooms. And Carolyn says she felt her eyes fill with tears. The teens were hungry, so she found some milk, fruit, and cereal. And she thought, well, even if I can't change the whole world as a janitor, I can change today for these kids, and maybe tomorrow. She says it took four years, but she hatched a plan, a school-giving closet, with food, clothing, shoes, toothpaste, shampoo. You get the idea. It was free to any student at her school. The school is Tucker High, about 25 miles from Atlanta. Collins vowed to do whatever she could to help these kids. The story was carried in the Washington Post, and she said, high school is hard enough without being homeless. 
She started out by spending $200 of her own money to get snacks, toiletries, socks, underwear, pencils. Then she told the administrators about her plan. She asked for some space, and they let her clean out an old storage room near the cafeteria where there was easy access, so her closet was up and running. And any of the school's 1,800 students who are in need of items can come and go. They can mention it to Collins. She'll open the door. They can take what they need. Her high school principal, she has such a giving heart. She's a beacon of light for any kid in need. So Collins says, I'm no longer just a janitor. She's become God's messenger of hope. She changes the world one day at a time for those students. This idea is catching on. I taught a class recently in Kansas City, and the church noticed that their dusty library was hardly used, and so they transformed it into a closet like this. They're located near a school. Either they'll walk the items across the street to the school when a school counselor calls, or someone can stop by and get it. And they tuck a note of encouragement into each bag. Now, I know that your church is partnering with beds, interfaith partners, pillars, and more leadership. And I know that part of that is through giving. We give our money, but we also have the opportunity, we're invited by God to give of our time. You have this opportunity as you are in a new season to think about what that looks like. It may not be the way that it used to look. I've worked with, I think now it's about eight churches of all different sizes, from 75 to 1,200, really to 4,000 too. But as a transitional minister, we each think about how it doesn't matter how many other people are in the pews. What matters is, what is God calling us to do? What's the dream that God puts on our heart? I think any mission can be born out of the fact that God has placed you here on Wolf Road. And whether or not the church gets any members out of it, God has a reason for your being here right where you are in Western Springs. No matter who the church is or what position we hold or how many times we have walked by people in need before, Jesus makes a way for us to join in and spread his gospel of hope today. Through us or despite us, it's all Jesus doing. Jesus will keep his promise. God finds a way when we're open and willing. So notice, today we're talking, or this season we're talking out of Matthew, but I want you to take a peek at Mark, at the Gospel of Mark in 1.1. It doesn't even include the genealogy. It doesn't include any story of Jesus' birth. But this is what it says in, in Mark 1.1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He calls it the beginning. We know from our nativity story that there's all these characters that will join in up here in your crush. We kind of put them all together from all the Gospels, and we see all the characters. We've got John the Baptist, the apostles, the wise men, you and I, maybe 80 other beachgoers who should be in our crush. 
we can lead others and motivate others to join in Jesus' gospel story because God is still writing the end of God's story, and we're invited to join in. It's only the beginning of God's good news, and it includes us. Jesus, our King of Hope, works in the middle and the ending of our story, and Jesus, our King of Hope, will return, we're promised, at the ending of the good news, as it's written in Revelation. God is still writing that middle and that ending. It includes us. It fulfills our hope and our future in Jesus Christ who will return. That's why I think that the Christmas story refuses to remain in the past. Maybe you've heard the slogan of UCC Church, God is still speaking. Or you might have heard others say, don't put a period where God puts a comma. Wherever Jesus, our king of hope, is at work, wherever we hear about the generations, the prophets, the friends of Jesus, or even you and I, wherever we point to Jesus, there's a new beginning, a new chapter in God's story. Each gospel story, each Christmas, is only a new beginning of what amazing work God continues to do through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And we are a part of the ending. We are the future of, God's, of Jesus' gospel, even though we're imperfect. We're failures sometimes. We're full of fear. But we participate in the good news each day as we live it out, even in small ways, even imperfectly. On our good days and on our bad, we are the future of the church. And I know every church is asking, what is the future of the church? What comes next? Who will come back? Or who will we welcome anew? What does it look like? We don't know. But we know that God who calls us is faithful. I hear Eisenhower said once, I'm greatly interested in the future because I'm going to spend the rest of my life there. Jesus is greatly interested in our future, in the future of his church. We don't know exactly when or how we'll see Jesus ending, but we know Jesus will keep all his promises. Scripture tells us that, records us all the promises. Just look at Jesus' promise to raise up, to rise up again on the third day. If God keeps that promise in Jesus Christ, then God can be trusted to keep all God's promises. Jesus is our king of hope. Let me close with Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit, by that power, you may be abound in hope. Let Jesus unfold our stories into God's greater stories as we follow our King of Hope this Advent. Amen. And let us respond to God's word by singing our hymn of response. <laughs>